All right, guys, well, as you know, we're in the middle of a series on worship, and we are at the moment talking about encounters of worship, Uh, different encounters that different people had with Jesus um, where they worshiped him. And the reason, our point in doing this is really, hopefully, that you and I can learn from these encounters and grow in our ability to worship God. That's really the reason behind it all. So today, we're going to be talking about when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people, the crowds, worshipped him. And this day is known as what? Palm Sunday, which happens to be today. Now, it's kind of interesting because every year I will get either rumblings or someone complaining or somebody criticizing that we at Whitestone, you know, on Palm Sunday, look around. There are no palms here. Check that. There is palms here, okay? As I walked in, somebody gave it to me. Um, but uh, it, how many guys grew up in traditions where on Palm Sunday there was just palms everywhere? Good grief, almost all of you. That's awesome. Um, I didn't grow up like that. I mean, we just didn't. There were palm trees outside, but not in the church service. And so I just was never really part of that. But to replace, to, to just be able to say that we did this, so we had palms in our service, if everybody could just raise their hand, <laughs> wave them around, There we go. We have palms in our service. Very good. All right, let's get right into it. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. If you have a Bible, please turn there because that's the the passage we're going to be looking at today. Starting in verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Bouncing to verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Well, apparently Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they're approaching the Mount of Olives. And those of you who have been to Israel, you can kind of picture that in your mind's eye, what that have been like. And as as they approach the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples to go on ahead of him and to run an errand for him. And he says, okay, guys, I want you to go to the village ahead of us and you're going to find a donkey tied there with her baby standing right beside her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the Lord needs them, and he'll be cool with it. So the disciples head out, and they find the donkey, just like Jesus you know, said they would, and they begin to untie it, and let's see how it all went down in the book of Luke. Luke 19, you don't have to turn it, it'll be on the screen behind me. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Now, I don't know why, but I think this is pretty awesome. Uh, You know, while they're sitting there, they walk up to it, and while they're untying it, the owner of the donkey goes, hey, what are you doing? Why are you untying the donkey? And all they answered was, the Lord needs it. And they walk away. And I just think that's amazing. I want to try that with somebody's Mercedes Benz sometime. Just be like... Hey, what are you doing? Lord needs it, okay? You cool with it? I don't know if it'll work, but I I just think that's awesome. So anyways, they bring the mother donkey and the baby donkey to Jesus, and they place their cloaks on the baby donkey, and Jesus gets on it. Let's keep reading. 
Verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I just want to stop here, and I want to point out something. Um, Notice it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, by reading that sentence, let me ask you, were there more cloaks on the road or more branches? A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What were there more of, cloaks or branches? Cloaks, exactly. Seems to me that there were a lot more cloaks on the road. So why in the world is it called Palm Sunday? Should be called Cloak Sunday, okay? That's why I don't have palms in the church, because I just don't think it's biblical, you know? We should have cloaks here. No, just kidding. Isn't that interesting, though? It's a little detail that we might miss. So next Palm Sunday, let's have cloaks all over the place. It'll be interesting. Now, I quickly want to bounce over to the Luke passage again, because the Luke passage mentions something that I think is very important. Let's read uh, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, you can picture that if you've been there, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now notice what it says. Blessed is the what? The king. Jesus was being present, presented as the king of Israel right here. Remember that, that little baby king that we talked about at the beginning of this series where the wise men came and worshiped? Well, this baby king is now all grown up and he is coming into his capital city being cheered and praised and celebrated and worshiped as the true king of Israel. Now guys, this is no small thing. This is a very significant event. And and like we told you in that very first sermon, this day was prophesied 483 years prior to the day, to the day by Daniel. The precision of the prophecies concerning Jesus are absolutely incredible. Honestly, guys, if you you know, struggle, struggle with the authenticity of Jesus and you're wondering if he really was who he says he was, all you need to do is really dig deep and study the, the prophecies concerning him and you will find all the proof that you will need. There are over 350 prophecies regarding Jesus, messianic prophecies, that he fulfilled every single one of them to the T. That is humanly impossible. But God worked it out perfectly. Now let's bounce back to Matthew and get back to the story. Verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now guys, this... This is a huge crowd celebrating Jesus and worshiping him as king. If you Google Jesus riding on a donkey, the pictures will show maybe 30 or 40 people just like, oh, you know, they're waving palms and stuff. It's not a crowd. But what have we been learning about the crowds that follow Jesus? They were huge, absolutely gigantic. And I would guess that this is probably one of the biggest. 
We're not talking about a small crowd here. It is absolutely huge. And the people who had cloaks were throwing their cloaks on the ground. And other people, possibly the poor people who couldn't afford a cloak, they were cutting branches down and putting that on the ground. All signs of respect and honor to their king. This is a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. I mean, this is absolutely awesome. The people are so excited. This is their king. But not only was he their king, I want you to notice something here. Notice what they're calling this king. They are calling him the son of David. Can anybody tell me what does the son of David mean? What was that term in reference to? Say it with confidence so I hear you. The Messiah, exactly. It was the promised Messiah. So the fact that they were calling Jesus the son of David means that they were in a sense that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the king of Israel. They recognized who he was. This crowd of people are seeing Jesus for who he truly was. It's like the blinders came off, the scales fell to the ground, and they suddenly saw Jesus as the Messiah, the the king of Israel. And they are thinking great big thoughts about him. They were worshiping him. And like we've been always saying throughout this whole series, true worship happens when we see God for who he really is. And out of these great big thoughts came a huge swell of celebration. I mean, this was, remember those, those Hebrew terms of praise and worship that we talked about? Do you remember what halal was? Awesome, that's great. <laughs> Glad it stuck with you. No, halal was that just celebratory where they, you know, leaping and dancing and praising God. The, that's what these people do, and they are halaling, they are worshiping God. These people are shouting and praising and jumping and dancing and celebrating their King Jesus, their promised Messiah. Even small children were involved in this frenzied worship, we're going to see in a moment. This was awesome. Guys, you talk about a worship service. This was it. I mean, so much so that they're taking their cloaks off to lay on the ground so that their king, who's riding a donkey, won't have, the donkey won't have to touch the ground. They were deeply honoring and praising their king. It's a beautiful sight. And I want you to just picture it in your mind's eye. Now, if you could, just put that on pause for a second. And I want to show you something pretty cool. I want to take you to a passage in Psalm that few people know about or even think about, but it's attached to this story. And it's just a small little verse that you could really easily just gloss over. But let me show you in Psalms 8. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 8... I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, but it's mainly 2 we're going to focus on. But it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, verse 1 sounds cool and it kind of fits into that chapter, but what in the world is going on in verse 2? I mean, if you were to read the chapter, chapter 8 of Psalms, Verse 2 doesn't even look like it fits into that chapter. It seems kind of out of place. But what you might not realize is that, is that this verse is a messianic prophecy. Okay? It's a prophecy about the, uh, the coming Messiah. It's going to be a specific point in the Messiah's life that is going to be fulfilled about Jesus. And I want us to notice what it says. It goes, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Now, what does that mean? 
it means that God has seen fit to orchestrate that praise come from the mouth of children, from the mouth of little kids. He has ordained from the beginning of time that at some point, little kids would sing his praises. And I don't want to just stop here for a second because I think that's a very important point for us to wrap our heads around. The worship of God isn't bound to any certain age, is it? I think sometimes we as adults, we think, well, you know, it's just for the mature adults who really know how to worship God. But you know, in all reality, that's so wrong. Because truth be said, I think some little kids can put us to shame when it comes to worship. Because they don't care what the person next to them thinks. They just want to worship. They just want to praise their Lord. In fact, there's a little one sitting right there who she's probably one of the best little worshipers in the house. She will, when I, sometimes when I say amen, she will shout out amen. When we were practicing our different forms of worship, she was in the aisle and she was dancing and just praising. She didn't care what people thought. She's praising Jesus. You know, um, Jake Andrus and his youth group, they will come in here on Wednesday nights and as the youth kids, they will worship the Lord. It doesn't matter what age. Age isn't, isn't even a prerequisite when it comes to worshiping our king. Now in this verse it says, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now look at that verse. Why in this prophecy would he ordain praise to come from the mouth of children? Here's why. God will do that because of his enemies. There are enemies who are flat out against God. They oppose him. They speak against him. And so God is going to ordain that little children praise him to basically shut the enemy's mouth. Okay, does that make sense? Little kids' praises are going to shut the mouth of the enemy. Okay, and why? Because he's going to use these little kids' mouth to silence the foe in the avenger. Okay, good. Now, don't forget about that, but I want you to hold that and just put that on pause for a second. And I want to briefly talk about what kind of teacher Jesus was. I want us to see what a unique rabbi Jesus was. If you'll notice in the Gospels, many times when people would ask Jesus a question, he wouldn't just give the answer straightforwardly, okay? He would say something to get them thinking, and he would let them, in a sense, finish the thought. He, he would let them come to their own conclusions. In other words, he would speak something or tell a story or, or say something where they would have to work the thought out to conclusion to a conclusion. It's a little bit like the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, you know, by the cover of night, and he's talking to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, you know, um, we know that you're from heaven. We know that you are from God because no one would be able to do the things that you're doing. And it's like Nicodemus is saying, Right, Jesus? I mean, you know, kind of clear that up for me. It's like he's wanting Jesus to kind of clarify that. And you would think Jesus at that point says, man, Nicodemus, you're absolutely right. I did come from God. I am his son, and I came to earth to do all these things, and I'm going to just lay it out for you bit by bit. But that's not what he said. He said, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. And I can imagine Nicodemus going, wait, what? We weren't even talking about that. What, what is this born again? I'm just trying to clarify if you're from heaven or not. You know, 
And, and, and Jesus goes on to this whole thing, getting Nicodemus, who happens to be a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, to think. He's trying to get Nicodemus to think, to think thoughts that he's probably never thought of before. Jesus isn't just about giving the answer. He's a rabbi that's gonna get people to figure out the answer, to use their own minds to come to it. He was a brilliant rabbi, and that was his rabbinic way. Is everyone with me so far? Okay, three of you, that's awesome. Now, I want us to go back to the Matthew story again, and let's see how it progresses, and this will hopefully all make sense for us. This verse that we're gonna read right now, back in Matthew, Jesus has just ridden his donkey into Jerusalem, and people everywhere are praising him. Let's pick up in verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were, what? Indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Now, remember, you have to understand that these chief priests and teachers of the law, believe it or not, were against Jesus. They couldn't stand Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. They don't like how Jesus has taken all the attention away from them. So here they are watching all these wonderful things that Jesus is doing, and you would think they would praise God in the midst of it, but they didn't. They hear children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. The children are doing this. The children have found a hero. They found a superhero that they're going around praising him, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law are jealous and they're indignant. And they don't like the fact that Jesus is being called the son of David because that means that the children are actually saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're flat out rejecting that. So to them, this is an outrage. So they come to Jesus and they say, do you hear what the children are saying? Stop them. This is an outrage. And notice what Jesus responds. Jesus calmly says, yes. Have you never read that's kind of sarcastic. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Jesus calmly refers them back to the messianic prophecy in Psalm 8, and he says, hey, you chief priests and you teachers of the law, you people who know the scriptures inside and out, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Now, first off, what is Jesus doing here? He's indicating that, yes, I hear the children praising me. And why wouldn't they? It has been ordained that God would have these little ones praise the Messiah. What you guys are witnessing is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, yes, they're calling me the Messiah. And, well, they should be because that's what I am. But I also want you to notice what Jesus did not say. Notice that Jesus didn't finish the verse on them. He knew these guys knew the scriptures. He knew that they had the Torah memorized. They would have been completely familiar with this passage in Psalm. And notice what he leaves out. What does he leave out? Because of his enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger. That's what he leaves out. And do you want to know why he left it out? so that they would connect the dots themselves. They, knowing the scriptures, would have automatically finished the sentence. And by doing so, they would realize 
that they are part of this verse in Psalms, and they are what? The enemy of God. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of what? Your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Jesus let them finish the thought and come to their own conclusion, and sadly, they're part of the prophecy. They were standing opposed to God himself, and these little kids were here to shut them up. And Jesus didn't even have to tell them. They would have figured it out. He was a brilliant rabbi. And guys, he still is, amen? He really is. Now I want to end with this, and I want you to bounce up in chapter 21 back to verse 5 because this really stuck out to me in this passage. I want you to look at the prophecy about Jesus riding on the donkey. This is a prophecy that Matthew is quoting from the Old Testament. He says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a prophecy about Jesus written hundreds of years earlier. And and guys, the reality of Jesus fulfilling this prophecy down to the day is absolutely staggering. But what I want us to see is something else. I want us to focus on what it's saying. See, your what? Your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And not only on a donkey, but the foal of a donkey. Guys, let me just point out something that I think we might miss here. I want us to focus on how amazing our king is. I want us to think some pretty big thoughts about our king right now. You see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This king is King Jesus. And guys, he's not some earthly, wimpy king the king of just one nation. No, he is the king of the universe. King Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And you, you would kind of expect a king like that to come with his vast armies and with all of his pomp and circumstance and all of his splendor and show up and demand our worship. But that's not what we see, is it? Our king came gently and lowly and humbly. Our king left his throne room in glory and he came to this earth and he became one of us. And you know, rather than being born in some fancy hospital with all the modern equipment, he was born outside somewhere, maybe in a cave or stable or maybe just out on the open sky and he was laid in a feeding trough. And you would think that he would grow up like in a palace having servants and you know, take care of his every need and meet his every necessary thing that he you know, would want or whatever. But that's not what happened, is it? He grew up working hard along his earthly father, Joseph, working along a poor carpenter. And you know, you'd expect that when Jesus got older and he began his ministry that he would live in this nice mansion or something where he could come back from his day of ministry and he could maybe relax in a pool or sit in a hot tub and just kind of recoup to go out the next day back to ministry. But he didn't. He did no such thing. In fact, Jesus himself says, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. 
Jesus didn't even have a bed of his own. And guys, I have to tell you, if a king was riding into his capital city to present himself as king, you would expect that he would come riding in on a big, beautiful, black stallion with his procession behind him. Something like this, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He comes riding on a donkey. And not just a donkey, a baby donkey. The smaller of the two. And I can imagine the mother came trotting along beside the donkey, and Jesus' feet are probably dragging on the ground. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not sure you could create more of a humble picture than this. This is the comparison. Most kings would pick the horse. Next picture. But our Jesus picked this. This is the king of the universe. This is Jesus. Now, I, I mention all this simply because as a pastor, people tell me all the time that it's so hard to worship a God that's so distant. And he's so harsh, and he's so unapproachable, and he's so intimidating, and it feels like he's always angry, and it feels like he's always out to get me. And on and on the accusations go, and on and on the excuses go. But guys, I want to say this as clearly as I can this morning. Nothing could be further from the truth. God isn't like that at all. And I can say that because Scripture tells us that if you have seen Jesus, then you have seen, finish it for me, you've seen God. Because Scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of his Father. And I don't know about you, but the Jesus we're seeing today sure doesn't seem distant, does he? He sure doesn't seem intimidating. He sure doesn't seem unapproachable. In fact, he seems just the opposite. And guys, if that's what Jesus is like, then that's what God is like. That's the God we worship. He isn't distant. Not at all. In fact, look at that verse there. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you. Notice it says, your king comes to you. Let me tell you something, third service. Kings don't make a habit of coming to you. You have to come to them. No king is gonna come to you. Well, guess what? This king did. King Jesus did. He came to us. This gentle king who rode in on a humble donkey came to us to give us life, to show us how to live. And you know what, third service, a king like that deserves every single bit of our worship. Amen? So like that crowd on that special day did, let's worship him with every fiber of our being. And not just on Palm Sunday or Cloak Sunday or whatever Sunday, but every day of our lives. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for just the story of him coming in. And God, we cannot picture a more humble approach.
We thank you, God, that you are an approachable God, that you care about us, that you're not distant, you're not far away. But you're as close as the air we breathe. And you love us with a love that is unfathomable. And God, if there's anyone in this room today who just feels so far away from you, God, may they realize that you've already spanned that distance and you're right next to them and I pray that you would wrap your arms around them and you would hold them and you'd speak the words of truth they need to hear from you. And may they experience you today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. I'm so glad we're all in this big family together. Have an awesome week and we will see you Friday and Sunday. Okay, see you later.